Hi, and welcome to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about money, finance and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and broadcast nationally on the community radio network around Australia. I'm your host, Ray Trevison from OTG Capital. And today we're welcoming to the microphone, Jonathan Elkham from uh, Elkham Estate Planning. Now, Jonathan, we've had you on the show. I know, I keep on getting that wrong, but I'm going to leave that in because sometimes having bloopers in YouTube uh, videos and, and radio interviews, I think are good tonics for people to know that you know, even when we do this so often, we still get it wrong occasionally, but I, I'm going to leave yep. that in. So for my editor, when they come back, let's leave that in. But Jonathan, you've yep. been on the show before, and part of the series of why I've invited you back in is that there's this journey that we've been taking when we're talking about estate planning. And so we started with the, the first one really about you know establishing a plan, and then we started talking about wills. And the last show we had you on, we were talking about executors. Now, the next topic that I really want to brace with you is, you know, what happens when things start going wrong and the will isn't what you were hoping it to be and you're looking at it and you're deciding, you know, whether to contest a will or not. And again, I speak from, uh, unfortunately, personal experience when uh, my own uh, mother passed away uh, about a year and a bit ago and I went through some of these machinations. So let's take a couple of steps back. We talked in the last show about executors and there being a will in place. So when somebody comes to you and says, Jonathan, I, I'm thinking I might need to contest a will, what's the first kind of things you start saying to them? Well, first of all, let's gather the information exactly who they are in comparison to the aspect of the will, because an executor can challenge a will as well, okay? But so it's it's a matter of understanding their role and what they believe their relationship is with the person and what they believe they're entitled to, yeah? And also mm -hmm. getting a copy of the will. So that's an interesting one, getting a copy of the will. And I've got to say, when someone passes, uh, you've got to be a little bit careful, don't you? It gets a bit macabre and a bit awkward when you, you know, if if the, the body's still a bit warm and you're sort of knocking on the door going, hey, where's there a copy of the will? So what do you advise in that regard? This is where a lot of problems come about. So a lot of uh, legal companies hold the will, the original will, until they actually have a death certificate. So you might actually have to go through several processes in order to get a copy of the will. So it could actually be weeks or so after you actually ask to see it, but the executor's got to go through the process of getting a copy. Yep. Now, it's quite it's quite normal that there is a digital copy nowadays, but if in, and you could, that could be used to reference to start with, but getting a copy of the original signed will, that's really crucial. And, and that's from where you start. Okay, so you made mention there, you know, who is the person and what is their relationship, I guess, to the deceased, I think is certainly important. But I'm, I'm going to take a general stab at the moment and just keep it simple for this for the purposes of, of today's discussion. And let's keep within immediate family, because I know with blended families and with certainly you see in the news today, people coming out of the woodwork, particularly with very, very large estates. I, I don't want to get into that today. Let's keep it simple. So um, we're going to try and find the will. So what's the first thing that you need to do there? Okay, you don't know where the will is. Is that that's the first start? That's that's a big problem. Uh, so as I recommend, everybody updates their executors to know where their will is, and at least provide them a digital copy to the executors. 
if not, it's a matter of starting to go through shoeboxes, going through filing cabinets, going through where they think their personal documents are in order to to, to find a copy of it. Okay, if so the person let's had say a for lawyer, example, right? But let's say, for example, then the executor's got the will. Um, he or she, do they have to give it out to everybody that asks for it, or can they restrict access to that will? You definitely can restrict access to it, but depending upon the different states, because each state has its own uh, uh, legislation in this regard, you ha different people have an entitlement to it. Yeah? Generally, the entitlements do come down to the beneficiaries and other role holders within the document. I guess when you speak about beneficiaries, um, if, for example, it's held by a lawyer and the lawyer knows, for example, the contents of the will and a direct family member comes and asks for the will, but then the lawyer says, well, you're not actually a beneficiary, so I don't have to give you a copy. Is that fair? Is it reasonable? Or is, you know, if you are direct family, you are entitled to see the will, even if you've been cut out of it, for example? It really comes down to the client, the person who deceased is instructions to the lawyer or instructions to the executor. So this yeah. is where we talked before about clarity, having clarity about what should occur. If there is no clarity about it, then they have to keep to the aspect of, yes, you're entitled to it or no. And that depends upon each state, state's act in regard to handing it across. And I guess my next question is a little bit loaded because I've personally seen this happen where um, somebody uh, died and it was uh, by their own hand and when they left their will uh, they got very vindictive and very vengeful in that will. Have you experienced that yourself in your own travels that people leave bombs behind because they've decided you know I'm going out but I'm going to leave my mark so to speak? <laughs> yes we see it in two ways one in terms of the the, the messages they leave for people so not directly in the will, but like the messages that they leave for people as part of their wills to hand out as part of the will, or uh, direct video messages, uh, those sort of things that then sort of explain different situations. So yeah, we're seeing that more and more, especially with digital media nowadays. So they've gone high tech in their vengeance. Absolutely. I would really call wow. video nowadays high tech. <laughs> well, well, look, put it this way, you know, your access to being able to video yourself and being able to leave it digitally, uh, and, and fascinatingly, I, I had chance to meet uh, a number of years ago a, a lawyer who was working for a state government, and she was advising that state government on uh, the uh, apportionment of digital assets uh, in wills, so people's Facebook pages, their Twitter feeds, their Discord chats, their online wallets, for example, become, uh, in some instances, fairly valuable assets. And in particular, when we start thinking about Bitcoins and crypto vaults, uh, we could be talking substantial assets here, couldn't we? Oh, absolutely. So we actually, in our wills, we actually have a section for a digital executor which could be separate from the executors for the rest of the will so they're responsible then for the digital component of uh, the person's estate i guess as a quick byline in your experience how are the social media companies handling this aspect because there's no money in it for them uh, but when somebody starts knocking on their door and so says to their legal department hey i want to access a dead person's account uh, for a whole range of different reasons, even if not just to simply shut it down. 
Yeah, it's an ever-moving landscape. So it's obviously getting better. So five, six years ago when my mother deceased, I was able to pretty much lock everything down and delete things. Um, the only one that I couldn't do back then was Amazon, which I believe they've now tied it up. But all her Kindle books, all her aspects of that are all gone. You know, we can't access them. They're all gone. It's like money wasted nowadays. It's not like a book collection where you can actually hand over your books to a charity or hand your books over to somebody else. So all those digital assets of books and if you think of music before uh, subscription services, when you actually bought the DVDs or you bought the CDs, all those assets are gone. So within the T's and C's wow. from those companies, yeah, they're, they're not to be passed on. And, and that's the same with Kindle books and things like this. At the current stage, you cannot pass them on. Yeah, I, I must say, having come from the IT world and specifically software sales, I've I've had some rather interesting discussions at barbecues when people, uh, you know, get all up in arms about, for example, iTunes when they started changing their digital model and their DRM policy, their digital rights policy. Uh, they started executing something called a right to use. Now, that doesn't mean a right to own. And so uh, it's interesting that you mention this now, that when somebody deceases, their right to use actually passes with them. And so in the past, I mean, I actually have vinyl. I actually have CDs. So if I was to, to drop off the mortal coil tomorrow, I'd actually have something physical to be able to give my children and say, here, here are my old, you know, 1960s and 1970s albums that could actually be worth a bit, I guess, these days. But even as a sentimental gift, but if it's all online, it's all gone. It's evaporated. It, it, you know, and and the companies are being quite hard nosed about that, aren't they? Very much so. Wow, something to consider. Okay, so I'd like to quick up uh, pick up on a point as well. You mentioned different states with different rules. Um, I experienced this myself. Can you explain to the listeners why that is so? Yeah. So we've got. Uh, oh, I better check my Australian things. So we've got seven. St- We've got eight states and seven territories, if I remember correctly. Um, And each of those has their own individual succession acts, which then relate to in terms of how how, how it then occurs. So as simple as you think about it, birth, deaths and marriages, yeah, it's exactly the same sort of thing. So in Australia, like, for example, born in New South Wales, you have a New South Wales birth, death and certificates. Yep. And it runs by state. It's just part of being a Commonwealth. Okay. Six states and two territories. No, we can have a separate discussion on that. There's Lord Howe Island, uh, other things like that. So, so you are there is actually in terms of it, there is more. But let's just go. Well, with I, the, always, uh, thought, the I always thought Lord Howe. I always thought Lord Howe came under the jurisdiction of New South Wales, and that's why they're up in arms about it. Uh, but yes, that is another show. We, we'll digress. We, we won't. Uh, <laughs> we won't get too into that. So, okay, yes. we've gotten to that stage where you've actually got the will now. So, um, and, and again. From personal experience, um, I, I waited a couple of weeks until uh, my mum had passed on. And I, again, I was sitting there scratching my head going, when's the right time to ask without wishing to be macabre? But I also wanted it from an administrative perspective to, to clear the air so that you know we could get on with our lives and get this started and, and hopefully closed out. So I then asked the executor for a copy of the will and there was no issue. I was given a copy and we then dealt with it. Um, is that fairly common, do you think, Jonathan, in your experience? No, I don't think there is anything common. It depends on the executor and the amount of grief they're dealing with. I know some people that won't deal with it for months and months and months, especially when the spouse is the executor. They'll just oh, let wow. things go because 
a lot of things are held jointly, so there's no big issue on it. Um, so it, it really comes down to whether it's that intergenerational aspect of passing the estate or whether it is within the same generation passing of the estate. So in the intergenerational, it does happen a lot faster. The kids, the adult kids, generally want to get their hands on the estate and get it over done with faster. But when it is within that generational aspect, spouse to spouse, yeah, they seem to take longer. Okay, and it's now time for a short break. You're here on Dollars and Making Sense. I'm here with Jonathan Elkham from Elcom Estate Planning, and we'll be back in just a moment. Hi, and thank you for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly radio program about finance, money, and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. The views, comments and opinions aired during our program should not be construed or viewed as financial advice. Any commentary is general advice only and does not take into account your objectives, financial situation or needs. You should consider whether the advice is suitable for you and your personal circumstances. If in doubt, you should contact an authorised licensed financial planner. We welcome questions and feedback and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform or check out our blog at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about money, finance and investing. And today we're talking about estate planning and contesting a will. Now, Jonathan, you wanted to correct me uh, uh, something uh, during the break. We talked about uh, whether you have a copy of the will or not, you can still contest it. Isn't that right? Absolutely. You don't need to have a copy in order to contest. Okay, so let's move on. I I think we're now at the point. So somebody's uh, sitting there, they're looking at the will and they've decided, you know what, I think I've been wronged and I want to contest this will. What's the next step, Jonathan? Next step for them is to see a lawyer yeah, and to get the legal advice in terms of, first of all, if they have a copy of the will, whether the will is valid or not valid, so the validity of the will is a big issue to start considering, and then in terms of the fairness of it. So those are the two things a lawyer would look at. Okay. Does it always have to involve a lawyer? Because some people may look at that and go, ooh, ooh, that's three, four, five hundred bucks an hour. Can I really afford this? Or is there an intermediary step that they could potentially go and start talking to the executor and saying, you know what, I'm not really happy with this. Is there a way of mediating before having to go to war? Absolutely. You can always go to the executor, and it depends then on your relationship with the executor, and explain the same sort of situations. Either you have a concern with the validity of the will, yeah, or that you don't feel it's fair in terms of what you then believe what could be fair for you. Depends on the will, it depends on the powers the executor has in order to be able to then negotiate with you, yeah. Wills can be quite complicated, but they can also be very simple. So the more simple the will, yeah, the less manoeuvrability there generally is. Yeah, the longer the will, the more there is. Okay, so you've gone. So let's let's take this now to a worst case scenario. You've gone to your lawyer. The executor has said, "No, go away. Don't want to know. The will is the will. Too bad." So you've decided now. Okay, I'm going to go and talk to a lawyer. Um, what's that lawyer? And again, let's make some assumptions for the ease of today's program. The will is valid. Okay, so let's say the will is valid. 
Um, but what's within it, you're sitting there going, you know, I just think I've been really dealt, uh, you know, the rough end of the pineapple. What's the next step then? Yeah, so when you talk to the lawyer, you need to explain the situation, your logic and your reasoning, yeah, and then come up with evidence to substantiate that. Each lawyer will handle it differently, but the main point is you do need that legal advice. There is no way forward if the executor won't negotiate with you and you cannot have that relationship with him. They will then take it on board, have a look at it, they'll make an assessment, and they'll give you some pricing to start with, okay? They might they might give you a percentage chance of actually getting something as well, depending upon the situation. So a lot of the situation is in terms of the blended family, where you're not actually part of it. And I know we said we weren't going to cover the blended family, but but it comes down to that aspect of what your relationship is with that person. No, no that, 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 that's a fair point. And part of what I, I think in educating listeners about contesting a will Understanding the legislation state by state, I think, is really important. And for again, from personal experience, I found that what the law in New South Wales in perspectives of contesting a will was rather different to that in the ACT. And it immediately made me take a step back and, and make me, uh, I guess, think again. And I then chose a different course of action. And so from that perspective, if you are now engaging lawyers, I'm I, I'm interested, Jonathan, from the estate perspective. If the will is challenged and they need to engage legal counsel, who starts paying for all of that? The estate. Okay, so it's sort of a bit of a case then that if you're contesting the will, you could end up kicking yourself in in the in the small parts um, as a result of going after money that it's going to end up eating into the pie that's left for everyone else and yourself. Notice you use the word contesting, the pie goes down straight away. <laughs> Sounds like divorce, doesn't it? <laughs> Even if it's just a nibble to start with and then the, the sort of cookie monster comes out and start chunking it, 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 it does come down to that. Uh, and in the interests of, I guess, sanity, I'm trying to maybe, I, I guess, box this in a little bit. If somebody came to you and said, look, I want to contest this will and there's $20,000 up for grabs that I think I'm entitled to and they're going to have to engage lawyers, is there a point... You know, is it twenty? Is it forty? Is it a hundred thousand dollars? Is there a point somewhere in that scale or beyond that you would say to somebody, you know what? Look, it's just not worth your while. You're going to chew up so much in legal fees, etc. So, is there a threshold that you'd suggest to anybody coming to you that you say, look, unless you're going to get this much money, I'd strongly commend to you, lick your wounds, move on. No, it it really comes down to the person, and. Um, who's giving the legal advice yeah as to what they would recommend because it comes down to that probability aspects yeah so and also your financial situation as well could come into effect as well if that person's financially supported you there there are too many machinations in this in order to be able to give that sort of number but really it comes down to the determination of the person some people just say bloody hell i'm going to go for it and i don't care if there's nothing left yeah see that and hear those stories all the time so the person didn't need the money in the first place. They just wanted to destroy the pie so somebody else didn't get to eat the pie yeah, or benefit from the pie. Yeah. So a lot of it comes down to that emotional aspect. And, and that's really where it comes down to. If you've been left out and you feel, you know, you should have got something, maybe something substantial, 
And as we keep on saying, the value of estates keep getting larger and larger nowadays, yeah? So if you feel that you are entitled to 300K or 400K, yeah, even though you might be financially secure, et cetera, et cetera, you're going to be hell-bent that somebody else that got 800K, you know, didn't get your 400. And you'll chew it up. I've seen it over and over again. More people are interested in keeping that bit of pie away from the other beneficiary more than they are in terms of getting it themselves. So let's say, for example, you get to the point, then you end up in court. What kind of court is it? Is it a is it a tribunal? Is it a special set of courts that uh, look after this kind of jurisdiction? Or is it just a normal standard civil court that they would end up in? Yeah, too many machinations in terms of the different states to go down that road. You do end up in court. Let's just go with that, depending upon the, the state or territory you're in. But I think it's more important to realise once you've gotten to that stage, you know, the pie is being eaten, anything. So I think it's probably better to look at in terms of from a point of view of, of what you can do if you think your will is going to be contested. So as a will drafter, you know, the will maker, what they can then do to make sure that the contesting doesn't happen, even if they do think it's not fair. And that's about the conversations beforehand and actually making sure you've got the valid will as well. So I guess in that regard, if you're an executor and you have somebody coming to you and saying, look, I think the will's not fair, and you, for example, as the executive, say to yourself, you know what, I think that person's got a case. Do they have power to then grant that person's wish or are the confines of the will so strict that they would not be able to do so? Or maybe after the will's being dispersed, they actually make some sort of ex gratia payment themselves in, in compensation for what they thought was a, a raw deal, for example. Yeah, I've heard of both situations occurring where somebody has said, look, I inherited 400K and I'll give 200K to you once I've received it. So they keep the validity of the will in check. Yeah. But as I mentioned before, it comes down to the, 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 the how the will is written and how it is drafted and the latitude that the executor has within that. Um, there are so many different aspects that you're trying to create a document for that is valid in 20, 30, if not 40 years time. So understanding how things have changed, the value of the estate's changed, how that person in terms of in the relationship with you and financially dependent upon you always changes. Okay, so look, we, uh, I guess in wrap up, um, the key takeaway, I always like people to have a key takeaway. Uh, I guess the best thing to suggest though, uh, I think Jonathan, if you're thinking about contesting a will is try not to. So how do you try and avoid this situation? Yeah, first of all, if you think you've been left out of the will, talk to the person before they decease. Just have that straight conversation. Uh, that is the best way because then you'll get clarity direct from the person in terms of what's going on. The next aspect is then, as you mentioned earlier, talk to the executor. Yeah. Beyond those two, you really, you've got to go down the legal route. Well, I, I guess one of the takeaways that I'm hoping people will garner from today's discussion that we've had here on Dollars and Making Sense is plan, plan, plan. Don't leave anything to assumptions and go along and see a specialist like yourself that will sit down and have that very dispassionate discussion without emotion and be able to sort through some of the key issues without the entanglement of uh, feelings, because sometimes you've got to make some fairly hard decisions, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And making those decisions earlier rather than later is really what it's about. And the conversations to so make sure you've got clarity on the will, clarity from the will and clarity from yourself to your executors to make sure that it's then handled the right way.
Great. Jonathan, always great advice. Always a pleasure to talk to you. I think we are certainly going to be able to talk a little bit more about some of these uh, elements of estate planning in future episodes. So thank you for joining us today. And thank you, listeners, for listening to Dollars and Making Sense, a weekly program about money, finance and investing on Radio Northern Beaches and nationally on the community radio network around Australia. We welcome questions and feedback, and you can get in touch with us via our blog, social media channels or email. Please search for Dollars and Making Sense in your favourite podcast platform and check us out at otgcapital.com.au forward slash blog. Jonathan, thank you so kindly. And listeners, until next week, it's adios.